Well, the final accounts of the book of Judges are not about the people that God used to save Israel, but rather what happens when people do what is right in their own eyes. We saw last week a pretty uh, sorrowful scene uh, uh, that you have a scene of when you try to do what is right in your own eyes, God is no longer worshipped. And you had the people at that time thinking it didn't matter how we worship God. We'll do as we please. We'll do what we want and worship because no longer God-centered. But it becomes corrupted into fulfilling our own selfish desires. And as we come now to the final three chapters of the, of the book of Judges, it truly does want to reveal to us what happens when we choose to live our lives by what we think is best. You might have observed that nearly every chapter at this point now begins to say that. In chapter 17, we were told that there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. As chapter 18 opened, it said in those days there was no king in Israel. Chapter 19 opens, in those days there was no king in Israel. And the very last sentence of Judges is in those days there was no king in Israel. And it is telling us something very strong about we need a leader who will lead us in righteousness. We need a king who is going to lead us in the way that we ought to go. And so chapter 19 opens with this same picture. And so we're going to look then at what it, what the author wants us to understand in terms of what it, it means to live what, and by what is right in our own eyes. As we go through this account, uh, I want you to consider uh, not only just the horrifying nature of what this final scene is, but I would really want you to consider how these events and concepts, ways of thinking, and even these practices are present in our culture today. And the reason why is because people are doing what is right in their own eyes. And as you also consider how we see our society reflecting many of the principles in these final three chapters, please reflect to yourself as well. Have we adopted some of these thoughts as well? Have we adopted this, some of the kind, this kind of thinking that we're going to read about in these three chapters? I'm going to ask you as well to, as we go through this lesson, to extrapolate applications further than I'm extrapolating them because I have an audience that I just don't feel comfortable doing that with. If we could have all the kids go to their Bible classes, I'd be far more pointed about what I think we see in this text. But I'm going to give you enough so that you can run down the rest of the road that you know what we're talking about in, in this text. So chapter 19 of Judges opens... And we have here uh, a particular Levite. Now, he's not the same fellow that we were reading about in the last two chapters. So erase that. We have a, a new new character, new person uh, on, on the scene. Uh, we are told that he takes for himself a concubine. Uh, and verse 2 tells us that his concubine was unfaithful to him. Uh, now, you might have a, a translation that says that she was angry at him. Uh, the Hebrew is uncertain here, uh, and you might catch that, that difference. You probably have a little footnote in your Bible that says, well, it's either she was unfaithful to him or she was mad at him. And when you only have a Hebrew word appear one time, it's difficult. 
But the response of the Father, I think, is one of the reasons why most of the translations understand that this woman has been unfaithful to Him. She goes to her Father's house, and after a few months passes by, He goes to get her back. And when he goes to get her back, the father is extremely pleased to see to see him. Uh, great hospitality, great homecoming of sorts, just as thrilled that he has come to be able to get her. And I would kind of concur then with most of the translations, because if I had done something so severe against April that uh, it caused her to be angry and I went to, to, to Dan to go get her back, I don't think Dan would be happy to see me if I had done something that awful. I wouldn't expect a warm welcome him in some great hospitality and oh stay for many days in fact I would expect a punch in the face so <laughs> uh, I think that's what you see happening here is she has been unfaithful to him but he in his kindness has not used the law of Moses against her as he would have every right to do instead he is going to take her back and so when he comes then to this woman's uh, father's house he is very pleased and brings them and says stay with me and so they stay and they eat and they enjoy the day and he's about to leave with his concubine the next day and he, the father says no 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 you have to stay another day you have to stay another day so they stay and then on the third day they're about to take off and the father says no, no, stay again, stay again. And this keeps happening until finally he says, I have to go back. And he says, well, just stay for the morning. And so he stays for the morning and then his lunchtime rolls around. He says, stay, stay, stay for the rest of the day. It's too late for you to go on your journey. And the Levite says, no, we we need to really get going. And so they take off. Because of this delay of their departure, they're unable to get back to their home city before nightfall. And so as they are traveling back to their home, uh, we have like in verse 11 of chapter 19, one of the servants says, well, it's getting dark. Let's stay here in the city of Jebus here and, and we'll be fine. We can stay the night here. And then once the night has passed, we'll get up the next day. And we'll go on and finish our journey. But the Levite makes the observation there in verse 12 and says, I'm not going to stay amongst these foreigners. Let's get back to a city that is of the people of Israel. And so let's get back to our own kin. Let's push on a little bit further and we'll try to get to Gibeah and then that way we'll know that we're safe and as we're going to be in in a city that belongs to the people of Israel. So they do that. They push on and get to Gibeah, but something strange happens. As they enter into the town of Gibeah, there is no one in the city streets to welcome them or take them in. Now, to us, that might seem a little strange, but in that day and time, as visitors would travel, you would open up your home to those who were passing through so that they could stay the night with you and you would show that hospitality. And so as they're going through the streets, they find it quite unusual that no one has welcomed them. No one has offered for them to stay with them. In fact, what you have then is a man who's not from Gibeah, he's from Ephraim, and he asks them and says, do you have a place to stay? And they say, no, nobody's come out here and made an offer for us to stay with them at all. And so the man from Ephraim says, well, you can go ahead and come and stay with me. I'll take care of you. I'll feed your animals. I'll I'll take care of you in all those ways. But he says something very ominous in verse 20 of chapter 19. He says, I'll care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. 
And this is a little bit of foreshadowing of what's being laid out here where he seems to understand you don't want to be out here uh, at night. You need to come stay with me. You would be better off with me than daring to stay in the public areas of this town. And so verse 21 says he brings both of them back into the home. He gives donkeys their food. He washes their feet. They eat and drink and things seem to be going well. Verse 22 as they were making as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, uh, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. Hope you have a Sodom sense replying at this moment. Here comes visitors into town and the people of the city say are not saying that we want to know him. Hey, who's the visitor? We'd like to have a conversation with them. But a biblical knowing of him and it's what they're asking for. Verse 23, the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out to you now. Violate them and do with them as seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning When he opened the doors of the house, he went out to go on his way. Behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let's be going. But there was no answer. And then he put her on the donkey and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel and speak. All right. Well, that's a horrifying scene. What we have here is, I think, something uh, truly staggering, an amazing, staggering picture of the sinfulness of the people. And the book of Judges is presenting to us, first of all, the most obvious scene is that when we begin to live our lives and doing what is right in our own eyes, we are going to act like Sodom. Uh, Sodom is the outcome. And here again, you see corruption in every word and every decision that is being made between all parties involved in this scene. Uh, The first awful thing that we see is that the people of the house and hearing that there is a visitor are interested in homosexual acts with this man and are beating down the door wanting this man to come out so that that can happen. The corruption continues that, yes, in those days, and certainly at that time, hospitality was at a premium. 
But for the man to say, well, here, you can take my daughter and take this man's concubine and do whatever you want to with them. Just spare the stranger who's staying with me is also completely outrageous. Yes, hospitality, high premium, but not to that level. Uh, So we're seeing a corruption of mind here to say, well, let me just cast out my daughter and you can have her instead. Now, I want you to recognize there is a little bit of a theme that is existing there when you think about what we studied concerning Jephthah and his daughter. And we're seeing this devaluing of family and devaluing of people, that people do not matter to each other. All that matters is self-preservation. This will be a thread we're going to see quite a bit. Uh, in these three chapters. All that matters is saving myself. And you see that here as well. As verse 25 goes on and describes the horrifying scene that she is abused to the point of death, that she makes her way back to the house, consider no one's waiting for her. Even if this man is completely powerless against the city, we ought to be outraged and shocked that she does make it back to the house And nobody even knows. He's not waiting up. He's not looking and hoping to see that she's going to make it or not. In fact, his callousness is so great that when he now is ready to depart, you get the picture of there she is lying on the doorstep and he's kind of nudging her with his foot going, come on, let's go. And she doesn't move. He doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. In fact, the text, I believe, intends for you to feel that way because notice how verse uh, 27 shifts and no longer speaks of him as the husband, but the master. There's an intended shift in the language that's used here. No longer is it husband and, and concubine. It is the master now comes and says, hey, come on, let's get going. So you see something horrible there as well. And if that were not enough for the callousness, verse 29 shows how little that he cares. Because then after she's, we presume, dead because of what the men of the city have done to her, he now decides to cut her into 12 pieces and send her body parts throughout the land of Israel. And we read something like that and you think, well, this is just completely outrageous, right? This is just unbelievable. It just seems like it couldn't happen. And yet this is the picture of what happens when we live by what is right in our own eyes. When we do what we think is right and we do what we think is best. I think it is just a a shocking concept because it shows, I think, something that is happening in our society today that we are moving quickly toward that the book of Judges is showing, well, here's where we're going to end up. And the picture is simply, you see her being treated essentially as property. Uh, She's not honored. She's not respected. She's not cared for. She's just simply property. That's all that matters. And it appears to me the only reason that he is outraged that she's been killed in this is not because he had some particular love for her, but because he's lost his property. He, he's lost his asset here. I've gone and got my concubine, and now you've completely killed her, and so now, now what am I to do? I'm very upset about those things. Nothing in the text gives us any picture, inkling, hope, indication that he has any kind of concern 
concern for her at all. And if that were the case, then I would say then, A, why didn't you help? B, why weren't you staying up? And why in the world would you say, hey, get up, let's go? I mean, are you kidding me? And it's not a concern for her as a person. And this is what happens when we live according to what is right in our own eyes. And this is what we see happening presently in our society that I think is not only frightening, but also disgusting, but that women now are basically turned into personal objects for men. This is what is being played out in the book of Judges. That's all women become good for. They are now their objects, their fun, their toys for their own personal pleasure and their own personal desires. And there is not a care about the individual. There is not a concern of love. Not any of those kinds of things. All that we see here are selfish desires on display. And this is exactly what happens when we live by what is right in our own eyes. And I submit to you, this is really the danger of what we go toward when we throw away what the Bible describes as equality for men and women. We live in a time right now that is declaring that what God said about rights and roles of men and women is so antiquated and it set up this whole terrible system, you know, that the suppression of women and the domination of men and all those kinds of things. And the scriptures show us it's actually the opposite. That disregarding the laws of God brings that about is that now men rule over women and use their strength and use their might and use their power against them rather than doing what the scriptures say, which is to honor them, to uphold them, to protect them. And I think it's shocking that our society knows this, but they don't understand why. Uh, A little while back, There was, I think it was a Colorado movie theater where there was a shooting that happened during one of the film releases there. And some of the news rightly portrayed there were these men who were protecting these women, laying down on top of them to spare them and were taking the bullet shots instead of the women. And their praise, and I go, now do you understand why that is? Because that's exactly what God said men do. Men protect the weak. Men protect the innocent. Men honor women. Men respect women and esteem them and put them in the highest place. And as this, our society tries to strip that away and say, well, we're all equal. And so there's no difference between us. Well, guess what people are going to do? They're going to treat each other as equals. And all that matters is me and not you. That's the hazard of where we're going and the way their equality is described. Yes, the scriptures speak of an equality to men and women. Of course, they are both blessed in the sight of God, honored before God, equal before God in every way. But the answer of trying to do what is right is not to get rid of the roles that God has described and what God demands for us to be as men and women. And that's what you see happening here. When you ask, you probably asked yourself the question in verse 24, how could this man of the house say, hey, take that guy's concubine and take my daughter? How do you get to that point? 
Because it's all about me. Preservation of self. We're all the same, and so as long as I save my skin, that's all that matters. Well, do you see that today in our world now? That's exactly where we're stepping into, is a world that says it doesn't matter about you. All that matters is me. And so then people only care about themselves. People only protect themselves. I saw a really sad bumper sticker on a car yesterday that said something like, I would rather be with my horse than with people. And I read that and I went, that's sad. Really? That's what we've come to. Your animal is more important than a human being. And we read this and go, ah, this could never happen. We're running toward it. We are running toward this kind of thinking. This is exactly the society we're moving toward. And we wonder why violent crime is on the rise. We're wondering why hate crimes are on the rise. We're wondering why all these things are getting worse. Right here. Because people are beginning to do what is right in their own eyes. And as that happens, guess what? Just like we saw last week, it's coming to light here. The innocent are no longer protected. The weak are no longer protected. Might makes right. Men get their way. And it's simply chaos that ensues. God's ways tell us how we are to live and give us what we need. And if somebody comes along and says, yeah, uh, the, the scriptures are against the equality of men and women, maybe shock them and agree and say, you're right. Because we're told as men to uphold men, excuse me, to uphold women, to give them the higher place. So you're right. We're not supposed to be equal. I'm supposed to put a woman higher than me and I give my life for them and I put myself first and I protect them first and foremost. That's what God says we do. And we have that intrinsically built within us. That's why I use the movie illustrations. It is interesting that people sense that when some disaster happens, people sense that and go, yeah, that was right that they gave their lives and protected them. Why? Why? There has to be a reason why that's the right thing to do. Because it's not self-preservation. That's not a self-preservation move. But that's the right thing to do. We see in Judges chapter 19 those things being lost. And instead, people are nothing more than property. People are nothing more than objects for our own selfish desires to be used however we see fit. And so living right in our own eyes means that we only care about ourselves. And that's exactly where we're running. Chapter 20 opens... After this man sends the 12 pieces of his concubine to the tribes, we now have in verse 1 telling us that all the people of Israel from Dan to Beersheba uh, now assemble together as one man. We haven't seen that in a very long time. This is, it causes all of Israel now to come together for an assembly. And so they begin to find out how did this happen? What what took place? He retells the story. I won't go into it. I submit to you he doesn't retell the story truthfully. I think he 
spins it in a way to make himself look, look a little better, to justify his own horrible behavior in having this happen with his concubine. But he tells them, okay, here's what happened about the, these, the leaders and the men of Gibeah, and here's what they did, and they surrounded the house. And so what should we do? And so they realize, well, we need justice, and rightfully so. Justice needs to occur for this. Something has been a violation of God's law. Deuteronomy 13.5, Deuteronomy 21.21, capital punishment is clearly prescribed for the men of Gibeah for what they've done. And so they began to get together and say, well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go for the men of Gibeah. We need justice for what they've done. But interestingly, the tribe of Benjamin does not go along with this. Gibeah is in the tribe of Benjamin and the people of Benjamin say, no, you're not going to come in here and you're not going to get them and you're not going to bring them to justice as God says to do. We are going to defend them and if you come in here, there's going to be a fight. And so you have then the the people of Israel then asking God, what should we do? Which is interesting, chapter 20, verse 18, the people of Israel rose up and went to Bethel and inquired of God, who shall go up first for us to fight for against the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Does that ring a bell? Very first words of the book of Judges. As they're about to go in and they're supposed to take the land, take possession of the land. The very first words of the book of Judges is they inquire of the Lord and say, now who should go up for us so that we can settle the land and conquer it? And God says, Judah should, should do this. So Judges now has recorded an interesting picture from start to finish. We open the book of Judges with God's people going to war against the wicked, against the enemies who need to be judged. And God tells them you need to go and they fail. Here now, they inquire of God, and guess what the people are going up against? They're not going up against the pagan nations. They're going up against themselves. They're now going to attack their own tribe. They're going to attack their own people because they've become just like the other nations. In fact, it is potentially arguable worse. The irony of the story is perhaps if they had stopped in Jebus, a city that was not of the people of God, they might have been fine. But they pressed to a safe city, the people of God, supposedly, to a tribe there, to a city in the tribe of Benjamin, and disaster strikes. And so you have this picture then is that shockingly, the tribe of Benjamin will not turn over the evildoers. They will not hand over the men of Gibeah. And the tribe would rather defend Sodom rather than practice justice. And we see that also, that this is what happens when we live by what is right in our own eyes. Rather than seeking justice no matter what, family protects family, culture protects culture, and it is absolutely despicable to see that the guilty then become protected. Rather than seeking justice, however it needs to come out, whoever has committed the wrong, I don't care who they are, they need to be brought to justice. Oh, but we see a time right now, especially that started quite early on with, oh, but, you know, my son would never do something like that. And the family defends this criminal who's been called guilty for something that they've done according to the law, where people now close ranks around those who violate the law 
and say, well, we're going to protect this person. We've seen that in religious groups. We've seen that in our government. We see that in the armed forces. We see that in all kinds of scenarios laid out where there is an injustice, but we will not execute a justice. We will protect our own. We will take care of ours because they belong with us. That's what Benjamin's doing. They're saying, hey, they're one with us. And so we're not going to have any justice come. I hope that we would recognize that justice cannot have anything to do with culture, geography, family, uh, race, any of those things. Those things cannot and must not matter. All that matters is people are brought to justice. I don't care who you are. And I think that's what is so sad about what happens here is, well, but they belong to this particular group. They're the of Benjamin, and so they remain with us. And this is sinful and wrong. And so often we're living by what is right in our own eyes means that we will protect the guilty simply because we can identify them. This continues in so many... I won't get into it. I, was, I, could, I could just do another half an hour on that thought. Let's go forward. Oh, maybe Wednesday night, you can get me started if you want. So justice must be served. And so you see then verse 19 of Judges 20, the people of Israel rise up and they encamp against Gibeah and they go to war against Gibeah after a few unsuccessful attempts. They are successful. And we're told, I think, a very important statement that's made for us in verse 35 that we're told there that the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, that God is with them. Justice was to come. This is not just simply uh, some, some wild idea that they have, that there was to be justice against the men of Gibeah for what they were supposed to do. But what is interesting is as the scene continues to unfold in the rest of this chapter, it appears that the text is telling us that things get out of hand, that we get to verse 48 and we're told that the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword. The city men and that doesn't mean just men that means people so the city we're talking about men and women beasts and all that they found and all the towns that they found they set on fire and so there's a very severe outcome that happens here that God says yes justice against Gibeah but it turns into the total destruction of the tribe of Benjamin altogether down to men, women, beasts, possessions, cities. Everything is being destroyed in the, in, in the tribe of Benjamin. And so then you have something interesting as chapter 21 opens. The men of Israel had made an oath that says none of us will give our daughter in marriage to Benjamin because of what the, what, uh, the tribe of Benjamin has done and they're unwilling to hand over the men of Gibeah, we are not going to give any of our daughters to them whatsoever. Well, this becomes somewhat of a problem because they realize now that they, they have practically exterminated the whole tribe then of, of Benjamin. And so you see them, notice in verse, actually notice verse 2. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God. And they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? I read then I go, so you're going to blame God for that. Oh, Lord, why did you do this? 
I read this and go, wait a minute. You guys were the ones who decided to run them through till there was nobody left. I believe God is absolutely saying judgment against Gibeah and all who defend the men of Gibeah. Absolutely. And you see 25,000 fall because these Benjamites are doing that. But then to turn around and say, now woe is us. We, we are so sad that this could happen. And God, how could you have it that we would be without trial? All of a sudden now there's all this remorse. And I feel like what you see here is so symptomatic of what it means to live by what is right in our own eyes. Is rather than taking personal responsibility for sins and saying, you know what? Justice was supposed to happen. God was with us and Gibeah needed to have judgment. And anyone who was standing with Gibeah also needed to go with them. That's the just judgment of God. But instead of going, that's the way it should be, they go, oh, it's God's fault. And we're unhappy with God because God has not carried us through this the way we think that He should have. And rather than seeing the weight of sin and rather seeing the consequences of sin, you see them blaming God and saying, well, how could you let this happen, God? And people do that. It's always God's fault. It's certainly not our fault. It's not our impetuous desires. It's not our foolish decisions that cause the problems, right? It's always God. God's the one who's done something wrong. And that's where they reside as well. But you'll notice that they don't inquire of God. If they were truly concerned about the ways of God, they would go to God at this moment and they would say, well, what should we do about this situation? We we may have gone too far, Lord. What should we do? There's only 600 Benjamite men left. You've wiped out thousands. There's only 600. What should we do? They don't do that. Here's their plan. How are we going to get the tribe of Benjamin back? Let's see. Were there any peoples or towns that did not come to our assembly when we called it in chapter 20? Did anybody not come and fight against Benjamin and against Gibeah? Yeah, it turns out everybody came except one group. The people of Jabeth Gilead. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to utterly annihilate the city of Jabeth Gilead. And the only people we will leave alive are the virgin women. Everybody else gets completely slaughtered so that we can give these virgin daughters to these men of Benjamin so that we can have the tribe come back. Great plan. That's justice. So go slaughter a pile of more people so that you can try to correct your previous mistake. And unfortunately, when they go and accomplish that, they only find 400 young women, leaving them 200 short. We have 600 men of Benjamin, and that's only 400 virgin women from Jabeth Gilead. And they realize that they've taken this vow that they can't give their daughters to the men of Benjamin. So they decide when the next festival happens in Shiloh, we will have the men of Benjamin, the 200 that did not get a wife, go and abduct one of the virgin women and take them for themselves. And that way, we won't have broken our vow because we won't have given our daughters And they can go ahead and kidnap them and make them their spouse. That's the solution that they come up with. 
I think the final dagger becomes quite clear. When people do what is right in their own eyes, justice becomes warped and depraved. This becomes a horrible solution. And I want you to notice their concern is far greater for keeping a vow that they made concerning giving their daughters than murdering men and women and all in the city of Ramoth Gilead. Keeping their vow is considered more important in their mind than allowing these women to be abducted and taken as spouses for the 200 Benjamite men who did not have a woman. Justice becomes warped and depraved. And I hope you will think about how far we have fallen in this book as we come to the end. Our book of Judges opens with women who at the beginning of this book inspired great acts and played key roles in the deliverance of Israel. We read about Deborah and Jael and the works that they are doing as deliverers and workers for God in accomplishing His purposes. And now we have come to the end and we are seeing the women are being raped, kidnapped, and slaughtered by their own people. Do you remember Judges chapter 5 and verse 30? We noted something very interesting in those days. Remember the song of Deborah and Jael was about this man named Sisera. And now he and his armies were going through Israel, taking women and violating them and taking them to be their spouses and taking all these women back and kidnapping them and using them for their sexual desires. And now the men of Israel are doing the same thing. What was previously of the pagan worldly nation has now become the actions of Israel themselves. This scene is so graphic, this scene is so severe, that about 500 years later, the prophet Hosea would say, they have deeply corrupted themselves, and speaking of Israel, they have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. And therefore, the book ends in verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When we choose to do what we think is best, this is the promised outcome. We think society might be scary or sliding now. If there is not a return to God, we haven't seen anything yet. This is where we are going. Friends, we need a king who will rule in righteousness and show us how to live. We need a king who will deliver us from our wicked ways. We must adopt God's standards and practice God's ways and make His thoughts our thoughts 
so that we can be his people. And I hope that we will see not only are we seeing that following our Lord not only gives us the promise of eternal life and gives us the hope of eternity, all the blessings that we long for to be with God. But living God's way on earth is the better way to live life. And it is good for all of society. And it is good for all peoples. True freedom and true life comes from doing God's will, not from rejecting it. Rejecting God's will will leave us in an ugly, frightening, corrupt, and depraved world. I look forward, starting next Sunday, we're going to come back to the Gospel of John. And the series is Behold Your King. We need a king who will rule in righteousness, who will save us from our sins and deliver us from our evil ways. Pull your songbooks out. We'll sing invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus. We invite you to see the hope that is found in Christ alone and the freedom and joy of life that exists in following him and serving him. Will you consider your heart and consider your life today? Have we begun to adopt some of the thinking and some of the ways that we see the book of Judges describing? And I hope we'll evaluate that and consider that cannot be our way of thinking. We cannot go in the direction of the world. We cannot adopt its practices. We cannot adopt its morals, its virtues, its thoughts, its ways, none of those things. For that is the way to disaster, and it is certainly the way to judgment. Let us change our ways, change our hearts, and follow our Lord. If you're ready to become a Christian, turn away from your sins, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and start your relationship with Him this very night. Will you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?